Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together, share dreams together, have adventures together, and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. But before we go any further, I have a question. Did your personal style change when you realized you were a lesbian? I hear all the time from women who tell me that once they realized they were a lesbian, they felt they suddenly didn't know how to dress. How do we make sure that the way we present ourselves is consistent with who we are on the inside? My friend Jenny Greenstein's life work is all about empowering women by helping them align their personal style with their authentic selves. And on this episode of Women Wanting Women, she dives deep with me into how she does this and what everyone can do in their own lives to uncover their personal style from the inside out. Jenny, thank you so much for agreeing to come on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. But before we get started, why don't you give an in- introduction about who you are, what you do? and Sure. So my name is Jenny Greenstein. I live in New York City with my wife and two daughters. Uh, We also have a place in the Hudson Valley, which is actually where we are right now. I am the founder of Your Soul Style, which is, uh, I'm a personal wardrobe stylist. And the philosophy behind the work that I do is about the integration between style and mindfulness, the coming together of both the inner and outer selves to make sure that they are in alignment So that when we present and show up each and every day of our lives, we are showing up as our most authentic and empowered selves. And I support women on their journey in in becoming that and coming into that, um, owning that and really finding it. I love that. Can we talk about what when you're saying things like style, mindfulness, being in alignment, what do those things mean to you? So, I mean, well, first of all, I think we're like ever changing. I'm a huge advocate of personal growth work. I'm constantly focusing on evolving, becoming a better version of myself, different iterations of myself as things keep changing. So I think it's really important to pay attention to how that's reflected in how we self-express and what that looks like externally. When we're young, there are influences, um, our, obviously our main influences are at home and come down from our grownups. It could be parents, it could be grandparents, wherever you're being raised, I don't, you know, it's all different. 
And those influence are, are your primary influences at first, and then it becomes friends, and then it becomes culture. And then there's all this information and noise coming at you as you get older. And many times when we're on that path, when we don't pay attention to how we present and how we self-express, there becomes a disconnect between who we are at our core on a soul level and how we're showing up. So my work and what I do with my clients and what I've done for myself and continue to do it for myself is to really be intentional about how, I present, how I'm presenting myself, how I'm getting dressed, what I'm putting on my body, how I show up into the world each and every day so that I can ensure that the noise and the chaos and the outside external influence is not what is influencing who I am and how I'm presenting. Rather, it is tapping into myself on a soul level who I am, um, what I'm about, what I want to say, um, what messages I want to give off in terms of, you know, what my what my clothing says about me, because it is very relevant, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, because when we're young, when we're really young, there's someone else dressing us. There's our mm -hmm. the grownups in our life are literally dressing us. And then as we grow older, there's going to be more of our peers that are influencing us or the old, older siblings of our peers. And there's so much outside influence that if we don't pay attention, we might find ourselves presenting in a way that has nothing to do with who we are or what we're about. Yeah. And that, and that is a, that happens, I think almost for everybody at certain points, it's, it's almost like it's a sign, right? Obviously like I'm not working with young children. Um, I'm working with older women, mostly young women, older women, but not, not children. And the practice is is a self-reflection is introspection is tapping in is stripping down is breaking down it's understanding your story your narrative it's you know really making sure that as we continue to grow and evolve as individuals that we're bringing along you know our presentation with that as well and when we don't when we don't do that, we wind up waking up every single day and, and walking into our closets and evaluating what we're wearing and, and really feeling like it's it, there's like a disconnect and, and not feeling good in how we show up every single day. Um, it's like a domino effect into self-esteem and insecurity. Obviously, there's lots of variables. You know, it's not, it's like not just about the clothes. And I say that often, it's like, it's actually it has nothing to do with the clothes. Like clothing is the medium. So a lot of the work that I do with my clients is, is a, you know, a deep dive into, you know, why you dress the way that you do. You know, we talk about what those influences are. We talk about them being, whether they're negative or positive, right? Like there obviously is like both. It's not just negative, you know, sometimes it is positive, but some of those influence carry too much weight. Um, in our lives. And it's important to, to evaluate, evaluate that and reflect on that. So, so there's a lot of, of discussion and a lot of introspective work. And once we kind of get that clear baseline of who we are, what we're about, what's the direction that we want to go in, how do we want to show up in the world? What do we want to say? Um, that's when we kind of explore the actual, the clothes, the medium. I love that. I want to get more into this idea of certain things could have two, like what are the influences and then where might the influences have over, you know, cause an overreaction. Mm -hmm. So can you talk more about that in terms of influences and then where they might not be helpful? Sure. So, I mean, I can, I'll speak from my own experience 
because I mean, I think I'd rather just talk about my personal experiences. I I definitely consider myself like somebody who is like pretty like vulnerable and impressionable. And I think a lot of young kids are right. Like we're very malleable. We're changing. Um, It's important to take in actual external influences. It helps us decide who we are. It's like what we want to kind of take on and absorb and what we want to reject and say, that doesn't serve me. That doesn't work for me. So it's like, when people get inspired or um, influenced by their peers or what their parents have presented to them, I think some of that, like we want to retain, some of that we want to hold. We say like, that works. Actually, that feels that feels right. And some of us, some of that we want to sort of say like, actually that doesn't serve me anymore. And I think as we get older, we're able to like understand that more clearly. But for me, you know, when I was going, you know, I, I definitely feel like I had an influence from, let's just say like my parents, right? Like my, you know, my father, always liked clothing, always liked to be very polished. So like when I was in high school and, you know, I liked, I kind of went through like this very big, like crunchy hippie phase and I had like holes in my sneakers and I like loved them. You know, you hear like, kind of like chiming in from like your grownups and saying like, I can't believe you're wearing those. I can't believe, like, can't you get a new pair of shoes? Like, why are you doing that? And it's like, for me, what I was thinking to myself in my mind at that point was like, I, I don't, I don't want to look polished. Like I want to look a little like broken in and worn. Like that's part of my message in a way, you know, like I feel more earthy. I feel like I want to explore this very like bohemian and hippie side of myself. I don't want to look too buttoned up. So there was like conflict there. And I didn't really have like the wherewithal to understand this as much when I was 14 or 15 years old. It's only as an adult that I'm able to reflect and say like, oh, like I'm not sure if those were like the best messages, you know, to like give a child as they're exploring and coming into themselves. It's kind of like, as long as it's weather appropriate, it's kind of like what I say with my own kids. It's like, go for it. Like wear it. If it's raining, please just wear a raincoat. If it's freezing, please just wear a winter coat. But like outside of that, it's kind of like a free for all, like go for it, explore. My mom, I'm like, you know, she also like loves wearing makeup and, you know, loves really like being like finished and how she presents herself. And I, again, when I was going through this phase of my life, when I was more not interested in wearing makeup and really wanted to look pretty like natural and earthy and feel more like free spirited and comfortable just in my skin as it was, you know, she would make comments like, can you, can't you just like put on a little makeup? You know, can't, can't you just like do this for me? And as a kid, it's kind of like, well, well, no, because like I, I should be like getting dressed for me, right? Like I should be getting dressed for me. So I don't think this is a unique situation. I think a lot of parents influence, influence us and I like they like to give guidance and guide us and they kind of want to like advise us to do things that they think would help us and advance us and help us you know present in a way that would be more accepting in the world or whatnot. And obviously like our parents, or at least my parents are from a different generation. So like there's a generational gap there too, that I want to just acknowledge. But you know, like now I'm a mom, right? Like I have two little kids. And because that messaging, as I self-reflect, doesn't feel like it served me at that point in my life. Like I'm very intentional about how I'm parenting my kids without using those kinds of messages, you know, really just letting them embrace and feel empowered to make their own choices. Like I said, as long as it's weather appropriate. But I will say that like, even like in very cold weather, if I see like Vita, my seven-year-old say like, I I really want to wear shorts today. I'm like, all right, like go for it, go for it. And then like five seconds later, she's running upstairs and putting like leggings on because like clearly it's like 30 degrees and shorts don't work. But it's like important for her to kind of navigate that on her own. Yeah, she learned it for herself, you know? Yeah. You, you think you want to wear shorts, but then when you go outside, you realize, actually, I didn't really want to wear them. Yeah, <laughs> when you're freezing. Which is one way to find out what doesn't work for yourself. But 
outside of the obvious weather constraints, you talked about kind of feeling out for yourself what does work and what doesn't work. How, do, how does one know what doesn't work? How do you know in a style sense for people who may not have any style sense? I mean, I think like one of like the clear indicators is kind of feeling like you're wearing a costume or like feeling like you're dressing up and like in something that doesn't feel right on your body. Like it just doesn't work, right? Like you like kind of like get dressed and you go out into the world, you go to, let's just say like a party, right? Like an event and you're supposed to be formal and stereotypically women should wear dresses and you're putting on a dress and you're going into an event and you're just like, I really don't want to be wearing a dress. Like this feels like I'm wearing a costume. This doesn't feel right on my body. There are alternative choices to be formal as a woman we are in 2022 you know like the you have a whole range of options you know maybe you're just a woman who likes to wear pantsuits and blazers and like that's cool you know um we shouldn't feel like we're wearing costumes we shouldn't feel like our culture and society is impacting how we show up because we need to fit into a box like there's just no need for it totally agree and then in terms of finding what does work the women who listen to this podcast are across many, many countries. What are some, mm -hmm. what are some ways that people can go about figuring out things that work better for them, finding better influences or finding influences at, at this stage of life? Sure. So I'm like a really big advocate of like mood boarding. So I think putting together a vision board is very helpful. So there are tools like Pinterest on the internet. So I think you can go through that and put together your own vision board and start dumping in images that you feel inspired by. It's interesting when I have my clients do this exercise, it is very um, consistent. So we might feel like we're all over the map or that we don't understand our style, but I'm a big believer in that we actually all have a personal style. It's just, we have to figure out how to access it um, and how to express it, but it's there, it exists. It's just like kind of locked up and stuck. So how do we kind of like move forward and get an, an unstuck it is by creating like visuals, like visual storytelling. It's like, oh, that. I, that 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 feels like that works and you kind of start putting in dumping in images into a board and you're like whoa like I really don't like color or you know v-necks are my thing or I really like must like blazers because like I keep putting them on my board um I, from there I think it's really important to to try you have to try not everything's gonna work so you know you put together a vision board um, you put together a few items, whether it be they already exist in your closet or you, you want to put aside a certain amount of money and spend it. It could be fast fashion. It could be moderate. It could be a couple of things. And you play with some configurations and you kind of show up in the world and you kind of see how it feels. But I will say, and this is a really important to note, is that anytime we step outside of what we're comfortable doing, no matter what, initially it might feel kind of weird. So I, I would say that when you're putting together new combinations or styling new looks from head to toe, something maybe that you really feel drawn to, but you haven't done before, that initial time might feel slightly uncomfortable. And I think we need to like exercise and massage it a little bit before we say, no, that doesn't work or yes, that works and kind of put it in those two categories. But in that weeding out process and in that practice and in that trying, we kind of hone in on what what is working and what's serving us. And it's not really a money thing because style could be at any price range and mm -hmm. across any culture, right? Absolutely. I mean, fortunately, we like have access to like a whole range of different options. I mean, there's obviously like secondhand too. There's vintage, there's thrift stores. Um, you could be wearing a plain white t-shirt and a pair of jeans and, and that could be like your uniform and that just is like what you feel good in and like that's your personal style and like that's cool. Like that works for you, you know, and that could be, you, know, you could find that within any budget. Yeah, totally. It's a big question that comes up for women who are coming out 
the question of now that I'm a lesbian, what do I wear or how do I dress? You know, what do lesbians wear? And mm-hmm. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, well, I went through that like exercise, like in my own experience, because I am a lesbian and I didn't know that before I was in college. So, you know, I would say I'm like, I would say like, I'm like overtly feminine, but like, I definitely like on the spectrum lean more into like the feminine, like the feminine personal style. You're pretty feminine. Jenny. <laughs> I don't even see myself like that anymore, but okay. I don't No, I'm like, I'm not like uber ultra feminine wearing like super bright florals and you know, flirty, like swishy dresses and I don't wear heels ever. So yeah, I would say that's like overtly feminine or I'm not like overtly sexy in my clothes either, but in, in high school, right. Like going into college. So I was definitely more like femme. And when I went into college, which was in 1997 and I met a woman for the first time and I would say her style was more like tomboy. And I was in a relationship with her for a really long time. And I was like kind of completely like taken off course in terms of what I thought the trajectory of my life would look like and I was very vulnerable and I definitely questioned my own presentation because I thought that lesbians should look a certain way so I played with that so the influence that that I took on or took in was from the woman that I was with who had more of a tomboy style so I would kind of try that on for size for a few years and also like I guess the uh, lesbians that were in pop culture at the time were like Ellen like she was kind of major who was also more on like the masculine side I was like ah like I can't dress like super feminine because like that's not what lesbians look like like I need to adjust I need to adapt I need to conform and as I grew and as I continued to evolve and moved into my early 20s and so on and so forth I slowly chipped away at that because that did not make sense for me at all. I don't think lesbians have to dress like a lesbian. I think we as individuals need to dress like ourselves. What that looks like is TBD. It doesn't really matter what your sexuality is. Those two are not, they're separate. They're two two very separate things. Who we date, who we want to be with, the gender that, that we're drawn to, that should not impact how we show up in the world. We just need to show up how we want to show up as an individual on a very soul level. You know, one of the most interesting things for me about when I started becoming a part of the lesbian community is I think it was a little bit more obvious when I was when I didn't know yet that I was a lesbian and I was trying to date men what you need to do, right? To be to have men like you, the the male gaze or whatever. It, it seemed like there was sort of one answer for or not really just one answer, but it seemed a little it seemed a little bit more straightforward how to dress for men. Whereas what was cool about being when I came out, what I found is that whatever type you are, there are women who prefer that type. We're all pretty specific about what we like, but there's such variety. But, but, but I think as lesbians, we love that variety and there's someone for Mm -hmm. everyone. And so I think what you teach about finding your authentic style makes the most sense because the more authentic you can be in your style, the more you're going to find a woman who's attracted to exactly the thing that you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would hope, yeah, I would hope that happens in like the heterosexual dynamic as well. I think it, it sometimes does, but I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, there, I feel like women are more dynamic in our culture in general. So, um, that would definitely ha- create more space for what you're saying. 
And probably things have changed too since I came out among women who are attracting men as well. So you're right. Uh, I'm probably also just speaking from a place in the past, more in terms mm-hmm. of my own experience of when I was trying to date guys. Mm-hmm. But I want to, I don't want to move past what you brought up a few times, which is the, the idea of evolving as a person. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? And, and how can people who, yeah, wh- what does that mean to you? Let's start there. Uh, well, like, I mean, like, we're always presented with different challenges and different circumstances, even if we're not intentionally or actively wanting to change, everything is changing around us. So it, it, you can change by default, or you could be mindful and conscious and intentional and aware of it, and be active in the pursuit of your own evolution. I know plenty of people that just kind of move along and don't actually have introspective moments or are not intentional or mindful about their own growth and, and there's just like this lack of awareness around it. But I think that we should all be participating in our evolution um, so that we can make, so as we grow, we, there's there's growth opportunities and learning opportunities to be better versions of ourselves as time moves on. It's not easy work at all. It's definitely the road less traveled. It's the harder path to, to feel the feels, to be vulnerable in your emotional state when you're going through a huge transition to recognize that you might not like something about yourself, to unpack icky feelings about things that happened in your past and to move past them is very hard. And it's, it's, it's practice, you know, it's, it's an active practice to be, to be working on, in my opinion, your whole life. I always say, I'm sure I've said this to you, Jordana, just in our many conversations that like the same way that like our, our society puts so much focus on physical wellness, exercise, green juice, the gym, yoga, like all the things that we need to do to make our physical body strong. And the same intention needs to happen around our mind, our mind. 50-50, it's a working system. You know, they work together. They're all inhabited in the same body. So evolving is, is going to happen regardless, right? Like I said, because like life is always changing. We can't control everything. COVID um, that I think has made a huge impact on how people have managed over the last few years. And I see a difference between the people that have been um, really aware and mindful about all of the things that have come at them over the last two and a half years and make really positive changes and really evaluate like all of the different perspectives that have come up. And then there are other people that are just sort of like flying blindly and have not really taken this opportunity to to really look inside and, and figure out like, you know, how to move forward from this place in a way that um, is different than, than the way they were operating before. So, um, yeah, evolving is, I think, important on every level. Um, the more intentionally you can be about your personal growth work I think the the healthier the more grounded the more content you will be as an individual and if like you know I'm a parent so like if you know for all the parents out there who are listening to the the more you take care of yourself the better you can be a parent and and parent your children as they come into their own beings as well I love that And, you know, you're talking about all of these challenges, circumstances arrive in life that we can't control. Mm -hmm. And the question is, as we're going through those situations, what are the things that we don't like about ourselves? What are the things that feel uncomfortable? And then stopping, pausing, no matter how ashamed it might make us or how vulnerable it might make us feel, really kind of digging into that. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of a way that you've, you've evolved over the years? Sure. 
Absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, and this is obviously like very relevant to this podcast is like me coming out was like the biggest pivot in my entire life. You know, they talk about like the rug being like pulled out from underneath me. I didn't come into my childhood as a young person having this knowing about my sexuality. So as a child, it was just very clear that like I was on a very specific path and I had an understanding how my life would unfold. I had a mother and a father. Um, We lived in a society where that was the norm. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have access to all the information that kids do today. I didn't have a gay aunt or a gay uncle or a gay sibling. It was sort of like, yeah, like this is just sort of the path I'm on. So that when I did finally come into my young adulthood in college and met a woman that sparked all of these feelings in me that I was just like, what the F, you know, like really, truly, like, I don't even know what's happening on one end. Yeah. I was like super surprised on the other end. I wasn't like, I can't go there. I don't want to do this. I was like, I'm in like, this feels good. Like I'm just like going like all in, you know, I didn't feel shameful about it. I was like, these are the things that everybody's been talking about when they talk about like relationships or crushes or whatnot. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, this is it. (laughs) Like I had like finally like figured it out. Um, That being said, it was definitely not an easy transition and it didn't like happen like in a snap of a finger. You're talking about like a 10 year rollout of change um, because it was this completely undoing of everything that I thought I knew about myself um, in terms of the trajectory of my life and my path, who I was, my identity, um, it was totally broken down and I had to like, really like, I felt like it was like a huge rebirth. Um, it wasn't easy for my parents who also saw me through a specific lens. So I had to kind of go through that experience. I had to tell my friends. And then there was a whole period of time where I was like on the fence where, you know, it's like, it was like almost in stages. It wasn't like, oh, I met a woman, I'm gay. It was like, oh, I met a woman, like, it's just her. Like, I don't really, I'm not gonna identify myself as anything. I'm not gonna label myself as anything. I'm just gonna be in this relationship for what it is and go with it. And I don't really need to put myself in a box or call myself a lesbian or call myself gay. I just, this is what it is. That was sort of like phase one though, right? Um, And I was like, kind of like, on the fence about my sexuality for a long time in terms of identifying it. And then after we broke up, which was post-college, I would date both genders because I was so confused. So that was really conflicting as well. Um, I really was like stripped down to like my core um, in that process of becoming. And I felt very like alone in that journey. You know, like I felt that was my own thing. That was for me. That was really for me. And it was really hard at times, for sure. It was really, really hard to be that raw and to be that like broken in a way. Um, But, you know, because like I said, I am such a active participant in my own growth and I am willing to go there. And that predates me exploring my sexuality that is I think part of like how I came into the world whether that be part nature part nurture combination I don't know um so because I am who I am and because I'm willing to go there and to be there and to sit there and to get the support and be privileged enough to have the support like I do have I have therapists like I have you know like I have resources um I did a lot of I did a lot of the work 
and I, and I sat in the pain and I, and I, I kept moving through it and I kept exploring and I kept moving through it and I kept trying and trying things on and doing and testing things out and, um, chipping away, you know, like chipping away. It's like rebuilding the blocks, rebuilding, 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 rebuilding. Um, and I don't think it's like, oh, like I've arrived, you know, like I'm not like, oh, I'm 43. Like I figured it all out. But, but I, but I'm, but I'm willing to continue to work on the building, to work on the building, to two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. Um, and yeah, just actively participate in that growth process. I think most people can, I mean, most listeners of this podcast who are out can relate to how hard that change of identity is when we realize it, except for the females who are, who as little children are aware of their attraction to other females. I'm like you, I didn't really know that. So it definitely came as a surprise later. Another life situation that I think forces evolution on us, whether we like it or not, is heartbreak. Yeah. Oh yeah. Some of the biggest growth I've done has been um, when I've had my heart handed to me and been rejected. Mm -hmm. And then the question of just what are the reasons that, that she left and, you know, what's true about that or what's unique to her, you know, people have their own preferences. It doesn't mean we've done something wrong just because a person has their own preferences. But then again, we do sometimes do things wrong and we're not perfect. And then having to sort of sit with that. And mm -hmm. you talked about looking at the parts of ourselves we don't like mm -hmm. and, you know, where could we have been better? Where could we have more self-control next time in different ways? I'm totally, absolutely agree with that hundred percent. Speaking of, uh, of hearts and love, um, you are a friend of mine who I would say, like me, you have an intensity and you love fiercely and you go all out. And as you know, I coach women uh, who are in the dating process and there's sometimes a fear that we can have about being too much. Mm -hmm. And I'm an intense person. You're an intense person. I was wondering if you could speak to that just because I think that's something that you and I could both relate to. Mm -hmm. And not to put words in your mouth, uh, but... Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm definitely intense for sure. But I could kind of like thread what you said together, but like said before about like heartbreak and like being too much. And like, I want to like kind of say something with those together. Let's hear it. So, so I, like, I am who I am, right? Like almost like we are who we are. Like not like obviously we grow and we change. But when I look back on the relationship that I had with my first girlfriend and I can reflect and say with confidence that I was too much in that relationship. I have those like tendencies still in my current relationship because like I love hard and I want to be with the person that I am in a relationship with all the time. And I don't always take the space that I need. And I like to be a little bit more I, like my like default mode is to be enmeshed. I guess is what I'm saying. Like that's what I'll always like default back to. It's like being more like in an enmeshed. It actually takes active work for me to realize that independence like you can be codependent in a very health, healthy way but like independence and se there's like healthy separation like healthy separation like that is like so that is like what I'm saying about like the work so like I am an intense person I like to be with the person that I'm in a relationship with all the time I can be too much and and want too much and and get almost like defensive or or 
um, insulted if the a person that I'm with is saying like I need space I, it's like I automatically go like down a rabbit hole of like why you don't love me what are you doing you know so rewind 20 years to my first relationship and that caused so much conflict in the relationship like it was so toxic it was so unhealthy you're talking about a cycle of that all the time where the person was saying like I need space and I was like why don't you love me I need space why don't you love me you know Fast forward 20 years later, I'm married. I've been married for, in November, it will be 10 years. And my partner, who is, interestingly enough, a very, very independent person and requires space and time on her own, I could handle it. I could still be intense and have the desire and the want to be with her and spend all my time with her. But I can also accept that healthy separation is a good thing. And it does not take away from our relationship and how much we love each other and respect each other and want to be together and want to share our lives together and raise children together. And that is like the 20 years of work right there. That's what happens when you can actively participate in your growth and understanding yourself and unpacking all of the reasons why you are the way that you are and what that means and helping yourself become more empowered and grounded and steady and confident. And then entering a relationship again with a very healthy minded person as well, who who helps me reflect on this and will literally say to me like, and call me out on my bullshit and say it's too much or it's overbearing or and I, and 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 I am in a place right now where I don't break down hearing that information I don't internalize it and say I'm a bad person like she doesn't love me like doesn't spiral me out I guess the way that it would have like 20 years ago like more resilience you know more strength more sturdiness at this point in my life I think to some degree also like having a a, a partner that's that's so she's so secure, she's so firm, and she loved you back so much that maybe it just it it uh it just worked more too. Yeah. And I mean I think being in a relationship with somebody that is very grounded, right? Like I think both there's always opportunity for growth in relationships, like independently and together. But I think the more grounded and like healthy minded you are as a person before entering a relationship and being in a, in a relationship with somebody that is also of that mindset is a recipe for a, a, a more sustainable long term relationship with healthy boundaries. And also like I'm in a relationship with somebody who really does the work on herself simultaneously. You know, like I have friends that are in relationships with partners who are not as interested in, in doing their personal growth work while the other person is. And I mean, I'm not one to judge what works for other people and like how sustainable anybody else's relationship is. I I know that for myself, that would be very challenging for me to be constantly working on myself and wanting to be better version of myself and doing the self-reflection and and doing the intentional work and doing the evaluating and the introspection with a partner who is just not really holding up their end of the bargain. So that would be that would be really hard for me. But but my partner is not like that. She goes to therapy. She does the work. She's interested in being a continuous better version of herself as she gets older. Dina's a badass. She always has been. She is. She definitely is. Another challenge, um, when we were early in our friendship, the biggest challenge I personally witnessed you going through was the challenge of fertility. You have two beautiful girls now, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't an easy road for you. No, not at all. Well, obviously, being in a same-sex relationship, it's like a little bit, not a little bit, it's much more complicated than if in a heterosexual relationship. Actually, I shouldn't say that because some people in heterosexual relationships have a lot of fertility challenges as well. But no matter what, 
I couldn't get pregnant like naturally with my partner. So like that was like, a, I, my baseline was different. I didn't even have the option, but yeah. So, so there's obviously like different ways to get pregnant when you're, when you're in a same sex relationship. And one of them is IUI, which is basically like another word for artificial insemination. Some women do it at home with their partners with from, they get donor sperm and they do it at home. Literally some do it in a clinic in the fertility center, with the medical doctor I chose more of like the Western route. So I did it in a clinic with the fertility doctor and I started with IUI and I did it four times and each time didn't work. So that was extremely taxing because when you're going into the process of taking medication and getting your body prepped and very much so ready to have a baby and going through that cycle of wanting to get pregnant, going through the process, timing it right, doing the IUI and then not, not, you know, conceiving it's, very tricky emotionally to deal with that. Um, after four rounds of IUI, unsuccessful IUI, I decided to move to IVF, which is a little bit more of an exact science because they're literally implanting the embryo inside your uterus and hoping that it sticks. I did it, I got pregnant on my second time. So th that is an extremely invasive process where you have to take many, many drugs to harvest your eggs. And then they go through a procedure of, you know, extracting them, removing them. Hopefully you get a bunch of healthy eggs. Then they inseminate them outside the body with the sperm. And once those embryos are formed, hopefully if healthy embryos are formed, they then transfer them back into your uterus. They could freeze them and hold them and wait and people do that. They can transfer a fresh embryo. I did frozen. So I, I fortunately had a lot of healthy embryos and I got pregnant on the second round of IVF um, with those frozen embryos and very fortunate for that. And then the second time I got pregnant with Bloom, who's now three, I had the reserve of those embryos. So the process wasn't as invasive and I actually conceived with her on the first time, which was amazing. I did things slightly different the second time. I like to believe that acupuncture had a lot to do with it. I prepped my body a lot with acupuncture leading up to that second, that, that IVF, that second baby IVF. And then I also did, I, I did acupuncture on the morning before the transfer. So I like went, I did acupuncture. I went to the clinic. I got the transfer of the embryo and I went back to the acupuncturist that afternoon. So I was like sandwiched with acupuncture. And I'm like a huge like proponent of acupuncture. So I think I, I truly believe that not only the acupuncture itself, but the acupuncturist who I saw, who I believe energetically, I had like a huge connection with. And I thought was an amazing human who just understood my body and energy and everything that was moving on like cosmically in the world. I conceived <laughs> and I was, I'm, I'm so grateful for, for both experiences and both of my babies, but Bloom was like way easier. I remember when you were trying to get pregnant with Vita and time after time of the disappointments and the, just how distraught you were about it. And you were, I've seen so many of my friends go through it after you, but you were my first close up experience with a friend watching just how agonized, how agonizing it was. And I hadn't had, I didn't understand it. I mean, I understood watching how upset you were. And then since then it's made me more understanding of my other friends watching them have miscarriages or be unable to, to conceive, just understanding, just, I always say, I, I, um, I always remember you when I, when my friends come to me with this, because you were the first friend that I witnessed it in mm -hmm. and you're so open about your experiences and so good at sharing. And so. Yeah, it was 
it was really hard. It was really, really, it's really hard. Yeah. But you got through it and you have such a beautiful family. Mm -hmm. Do you have any insights on being a lesbian mom on any ways that that might be different for than being in a heterosexual relationship? Um, well, I think my daughters are very lucky for having two moms. <laughs> so I am like, like, I think it's amazing to be raised by two women, two like strong, empowered females. I think that that's like next level. So I'm like very proud of that. And I think they're very lucky. And whether they know it now, or maybe they know it later, I think they will understand that at some point. Uh, I would say, you know, living in 2022, I mean, we live in New York City. So we're like in a little bit of a bubble when it comes to like a progressive city, you know, being in a same sex relationship is like, nobody even like flinches. It's like no big deal, you know, outside of New York City. And I know a lot of your listeners are in different cities and different countries. Like there, you know, there's there's different stigmas around being in a same-sex relationship and also having children within a same-sex relationship. But we are super conscious about being very clear with our children. I mean, Bloom's three, so this is new for her, but Beta seven, that um, families are very diverse and really helping them to understand that kids come from all different types of families, not just a mother and a father. And it's not just two women or two men. It's a grandparent, it's adoption, it's foster care. It's There's a lot of different ways that people come into the world. And since Vita was very young, we've been reading her books and teaching her about in, being inclusive her whole life and being dynamic and being, you know, in a diverse family and, and just being aware of that and having that awareness because we are in a same-sex family, it's just more top of mind for us. And I always say, like, obviously, like, a lot of your listeners are gay, but, like, if anybody's out there listening that's straight, these are conversations that should be happening in all different types of families. Like, it shouldn't just be on the shoulders of the, the same-sex couples to teach our kids about inclusive inclusion and diversity. It's everybody's responsibility to teach that and to make sure that your family is reflected in the literature that you have at home and other families are reflected and they just have a really big like scope of what's happening in the world so being from same-sex relations intersex family I think that is always on the forefront of our mind the other thing is is that giving our kids tools to navigate the world with having two moms like I said we live in New York City we live in a very progressive and inclusive city fortunately but I don't know where my kids are going to land. I don't know who they're going to come in contact with. I don't know who's going to question them or have something negative to say about their family dynamic. And I think it's really important to arm them and give them skills on how to navigate that. Not with any kind of shame or any kind of insecurities around it, but just an awareness that we're good. This is amazing. Families are diverse. Not everything is so cookie cutter. And we live in New York City, which is very accepting, but not everybody is of that mindset. Not everybody is going to accept our family as equal as theirs. And I just want you to understand that, that, you know, like that might come at you at certain points. It's layered. She's seven. So it's, everything has to be like developmentally appropriate with kids. You know, you don't want to just like, I'm not going to talk to them about like violence or, you know, like I'm not going to talk to them about um, things that are going to like instill fear in them. But I also just want them to have like an understanding. Again, like Bloom's three. So, but I did actually have a recent conversation with Bloom, <laughs> which is interesting because she's three, about like, you know, what do you have? And she said, I have a mommy and a, I'm mommy and Dina's mama. Like I have a mommy and a mama. And it's like, what does, you know, Luca have, you know? And 
mommy and a daddy and you know like I started to really give her like the language like families are different like you have a mommy and a mama and like you know your friends might have a mom and the dad this person might have be raised by their grandparent what do I have like talking about my parents because I have a mother and a father too <laughs> she thought my brother was my dad so you know clearly she's just still three and <laughs> out. she's like I was like who's my daddy she's like uncle Jeffrey I was like okay <laughs> step by step <laughs> That's cute. But again, you start unpacking it a little bit for them, um, layer by layer, so that, you know, they understand, you know, you give them that strong foundation. Any children's books you can recommend that have been great for helping this out? Hmm. I have a lot of recommendations. I have them like written down. I well, like Heather has two mommies. That's a book about like <laughs> mommy, mom, mommy, mama, and me is another that's like much more of like a toddler book. So that's like Bloom's age. Heather has two mommies. I guess it's a little bit more toddler. Like Vita's getting like a little bit older for these books. There is a, a picture book called Maiden and Princess and The Prince and Knight. They're two separate books and there are two love stories about a prince and a knight falling in love and a maiden and a princess. They're amazing. They're not about being gay. They're just about the same gender is falling in love with each other. Like there's no, it doesn't say homosexual in the book. It doesn't say gay in the book. It's just a story, you know, and it's just a story about how two men can fall in love and how two women can fall in love. Who wouldn't want to see a great story about a prince and a knight falling in love and a maiden and a, what was it? A maiden and a princess? Maiden and princess. Who wouldn't want yeah. to watch that? I would love that story. It sounds great. Yeah. I would even watch that if that was a show or yeah. something. <laughs> that sounds so yeah. great. And there's a lot of great books on like trans, trans kids too now. Like Jack, not Jackie is a good one. There's a bunch. I could definitely share them with you. I have a long, a long list. Cool. If you do, I'll put them in the show notes if you want to send them to me after. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, just in general, um, just a question I have in general. Is there anything you just wish every woman knew? Like if there's something you could instill in everyone, what would it be? I wish that every human being knew that it is possible to, that, that we all have like a, the potential to be whatever version of ourselves we want to be, but it, it, that's, it, you don't just like land in it. Like it actually takes real dedicated work to get there, but it's possible. We're not just stuck with what we have at all. I remember a teacher I was working with once said to me, you know, it's like we, we get up every day, we try, we fuck it up, then we try again, mm-hmm. then we mess it up, then we try again. Um, it's a messy, messy path to getting there, to change, to being better, to try and fix things about ourselves. I'd say like, if I was going to like say it more succinctly, I'd say like, we all, we all have the potential to be active participants in our own becoming. I love that for people who might not even know like what sorts of things can, can one become what, where might they, what might they be able to reach inside of themselves and look for to even pursue this? I mean, in terms of like relationships, I don't like, I just like, don't be in a relationship for just like for the sake of being in a relationship. There's no value to that. There's no value to like you as an individual to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't help you be like the best version of yourself or doesn't help you feel more content in your life or help you grow or be better or be stronger. There's more value in actually not being in a relationship at that point. I think that it's important to be whole as an individual before you, before you can be in a healthy, 
sustainable relationship. And while being alone or not being in a relationship might feel lonely or might feel challenging at times and bring up tricky feelings that you have to sit with, it's more beneficial long-term to sit in that space than to enter a relationship shaky and ungrounded. And and only for the purpose of avoiding the loneliness. Sure. Which is definitely way worse. When you talk about sitting with the loneliness, I remember there were times... I remember times when I would just sit and meditate when I would feel lonely and just let myself literally feel those feelings. And it, it did help. It does help to cope with it. Do you have any advice for, for coping with loneliness or any advice about sitting with these feelings or what that might mean for people who want to take that advice more practically? Yeah. I mean, I think like meditation is like really helpful. Like any, whatever, like I don't, it's like not meditation is not for everybody, but like whatever can ground you, it could be like moving your body. It could be like finding like a therapist or like a talk therapist or a coach or a mentor. It could be in just like books. There's lots of great books on emotional intelligence and emotional well-being, the road less traveled, mindsight. There's really, really great books to learn about growth work for sure passions think like nourishing your own passions and if you don't know what those are I think like exploring that it doesn't end just because you're in a relationship or not in a relationship but if you do have this like time and this like access to like learning about yourself it's a really great time to immerse yourself into exploring like what you love and and occupying your time with healthy habits and passions I think rituals are really important real rituals like structure Um, I think free falling without a net into loneliness is really hard So putting a structure to your day, I get up, I make a smoothie, I do some stretching, I take a walk, I take a shower, I sit at my computer, I go out for lunch, I make my lunch, I go to the market, kind of like structure your day. And again, I think that works really well for people that are have like lonely feelings, but really for everybody across the board. I think ritual and structure, I'm actually working on that right now for myself. It's like, like I said, like, I don't have it all figured out by any means, because I'm like married with two kids, like doesn't mean I'm like all like locked and loaded coming out of the last couple of years of COVID and like all of the things got stirred up in me with like just what happened with COVID, like circumstance that was out of my control, things that happened to my family, things that come up, came up like emotionally being the mother of two little kids. Ritual and structure is something that I plan to continue to try to implement into my life to help me feel more grounded. Yeah. And I just also want to point out the opposite of really sitting with the feelings would be distractions, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about like what the opposite of that would be? What the opposite of sitting, you know, what you're sort of pointing towards, but also what you're sort of pointing away from? I mean, I, people like kind of like use like really unhealthy coping tools, like alcohol and drugs for sure, um, to kind of like numb out the way that they're feeling. And again, I don't think that happens. Like it doesn't have to be on like, like a level of, oh, like I'm an alcoholic. It could just be literally having like one glass of wine a night, but that's like not an, a healthy coping mechanism. You know, I don't stand in judgment though. We all like have tools and we all sort of have a toolbox and it's all made up of different things and it varies, whatever. But it can get toxic for sure if it if it's causing so much distraction that you're not actually like tapping into how you're feeling, you know, and you're really just glossing over. Those feelings are not going to just like dissipate and go away magically, you know, like you have to deal. You have to deal. You have to heal. You have to recover. Band-aids don't work. I've tried. They don't. It, it will resurface again no matter what. It's just not a useful tool to have a Band-aid. Or like, I mean, I, there's a lot of different kinds of addictions, right? There's like sex addiction, there's drug addiction, there's alcohol addiction, there's lots of different ways to depend on external things to help you get through tough times. And like I said, I'm not saying it's like, so, it has to be so black and white. It's not like you have to be sober to heal. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if it becomes like toxic in terms of your, your, the process of, in your process of healing. 
Yeah. And, and distracting you from the feelings that come up. We're like numbing them, you know, like numbing out. It's like, it's just not, they will come bite, bite you in the ass at some point for sure. They will come up even if you're in another relationship, they will come up because loneliness is not about being alone. You know what I mean? Like loneliness is like a, there's something up, there's something up, there's something that needs to get like healed within you or resolved within you, in my opinion. Yeah, although it did take on some new meaning during COVID when people really were more isolated. But no, yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So before we wrap up, would you be able to talk a little bit about, you know, the, your clients, the work you're doing and where people can find you if they want to work with you and where they could find your writing as well? Yes. So my website is yoursoulstyle.com. You can find my packages and my services, and it really does give a lot of information on the process and how I work with individuals. My Instagram is Your Soul Style as well, which you know really documents the process and has lots of fun reels and highlights of um, you can get like a snippet of what's happening on more high level. But can you talk more about what you do because it's such great work? Um, we've yeah. I mean we've even worked together. I mean I had an amazing experience. Can you just talk more about what you do with your clients and? Yes. So before I work, before I work with a client, um, before I do any kind, like the, the, on like the first step is we have like a, like about an hour and a half conversation, like a coaching session, a consultation, whatever you want to call it, where we take a really big deep dive into the person's sense of self and also their sense of style. So I ask questions like, how do you describe your style? How do you describe your personality? Do you feel like those are in alignment? We talk about your body. We talk about your shape, where you feel like there has been positive and negative influences, um, color preferences, uh, shapes and silhouettes that you feel serve you and that you love. It's an organic conversation and it develops organically. So I follow my clients' leads, but there are prompts and certain questions that I do ask my my clients. And all of that information is relevant because it helps set the baseline and the tone for, for how we're going to layer on the next step, which is for some, it's going into your closet and really editing out what doesn't work for you and, and really kind of creating that clean, clear baseline and closet of uh, and wardrobe that you know functions well for you, fits your body that you like, that helps you feel good about yourself, that feels like it's a really strong reflection of who you are. And then once we do that, we move on to actually gathering those pieces and going out into the world and, and filling your closet with the items that do work for you. And within that shopping session, we do styling, head to toe styling. And then, you know, it's again, like my, my website will list out all of the, like, you know, the play-by-play and all, all of the services that's possible in terms of the process. Not every client chooses every service, every package, every package builds on top of one another and they get more in depth. But the intention of the entire thing is to really kind of strip down and peel back and deep, deep, dig really deep to create that like clean foundation so that when we rebuild from there and, and when you wind up getting dressed every single day of your life, you're wearing looks and clothes and your personal style is a true and authentic reflection of who you are at your core. And you're able to, at that point, with confidence, tune out any of the noise and that comes your way, any of those influences that are distracting when you're walking on the street and you're saying, oh, like, I, she looks so good. I, I love what she's wearing. It's like you become so much more confident and tuned in to how you want to show up that that noise is no, no longer a distraction to you because you could really harness like who you, who, 
what your personal style is and feel really strongly confident about it that that you can quiet those voices in your head that I think are toxic to us. Um, those voices come from lots of different places, but the only way to tune out those voices is to become is to become really secure in what is who we are and what is working for us and what is the personal style that makes us feel authentic and confident and most like ourselves. Then those noises don't have any, they don't have a say anymore. They don't mean anything to us. So that's, that's a big part of the work um, for sure. And um, a lot of what you're sharing is on Instagram, right? That's the. Yeah. I mean, Instagram is probably like my main form of marketing. And like I said, it gives like more like high level. Um, if you want to get down to the details of my services, like you definitely want to check out the website for sure. And you can link over through um, Linktree. We'll give you like a breakdown and some other podcasts that I've been on and some other articles that have been written. So the website's the best place to go. Well, I'm sorry, the Instagram's the best place to start, which is your soul style. Great. I'll have links to all of that. Any other final words? I just want to say thank you for having me and you know like it's been lovely chatting and thank you to all your listeners for being here with us in this space too yeah well thank you for joining and I always love our conversations and you're absolutely amazing um one of my only regrets of my early lesbian life is that we weren't friends sooner because when I think back about those years after college when you were kind of like figuring your stuff out and I was out and I just times when I wish I had a friend like the kind of friend that you are to me now and we have so many mutual friends I don't know why someone didn't put us together sooner but I adore you and I'm so grateful for and we you. would have had a lot of fun I think we would have had so much fun you would have been my favorite wing woman of all times totally but I met when you already were married um and so it is what it is but I'm glad I have you now in my life and I love you so much yeah. love you too thanks for being the podcast thank you thanks so much for listening If you like this episode, please subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. Also, don't forget that womenwantingwomen.com is packed with free resources that can help you build your confidence and have more success with dating. While you're there, you can book a one-on-one coaching session with me to get my personal support in finding the love you long for. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. And I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. Women.